When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Monday's edition of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am your host, Tony Anderson. And on this occasion, I'm joined by my good brother, Craig Anderson. How are we doing, Craig? I'm good, Tony. How, how are you? Yes, fantastic, fantastic. I've just been started looking for houses. I went out and done it for the first time in my life. I might actually own something. Um, and maybe they'll consider me a real person soon. So uh We'll find out. Uh, we'll find out very soon. I put in an offer today straight away. So, all things crossed. All things but crossed for let's, me. Let's not let's not reveal the, the details in case anyone comes in and uh, you sucks you. You know, yeah, no. I can imagine a terrorist podcast listener thinking there. Oh, I've I've got a spare six figure sum sitting in my sitting in my bank. Let's just go and outbid Tony just for a bit of a bit of patter for a laugh. <laughs> well, and tell you what wasn't patter, Craig was um, last night's. Draw in Israel for the Scotland national team. Um, firstly, I mean, this is what, if we're thinking about what we're going to be doing today for the listeners. We're going to be going over that game and then we're going to talk about maybe what our hopes are, sort of selection wise, for the Pharaohs game. And then we're going to finish it off with our next um, entrance into the memorable Scottish games, which is uh, quite a fun one. Uh, it's good news this time. Um, even if it was tinged with disappointment, like every other thing in, in this entire list. But we'll start with last night's game, Craig. Um, firstly, what did you feel when you when you saw the lineup? Because there were three changes there. Yeah, I thought, like I think I said after the game the other night, I thought we the defence was more or less okay. Uh, midfield was kind of fine, and it was really up front that it felt like it needed freshened up. I didn't think Dykes had a good game the other night. Armstrong didn't have a, a great game either. And so you thought, yeah, it kind of makes sense to um, introduce some some fresh legs up front. I was excited to, to see Adams uh, getting his first start. And so, yeah, I, I've i all along had, had big doubts about Jack Hendry, so I'd have rather not seen him play. But at the same time, who else do you have? And that's been the, the issue all along in terms of if you want a centre-half who can play, you, you're stuck. And it's why McTominay was, was there in the first place. Um and yeah, so so that was it. The question mark for me was was over him, but that that was kind of because I felt he would. I felt I felt he got away with being at fault for the second goal because it was such a really good header that folk kind of ignored the fact that maybe he was mm-hmm. a wee bit deep to begin with. I, I, you can't blame him for being out, out jumped for a header by a guy that's substantially taller than him. Like that's that's 
I mean, that'll happen, but I felt like he, he made it too easy for them to begin with. Um, well, yeah, he doesn't even put, he, he isn't able to put in a challenge. He isn't able to, to sort of even put him off. What's your, just we'll stick with Henry just now, because obviously it's an interesting one, Craig. What's your major sort of misgivings about Henry um, playing for Scotland? I don't think he can, I don't think he's a good enough defender at this level. Like fundamentally, it's like I think I think someone I can't remember who it was now, and apologies to them, but someone who made the point to me on on Twitter, and I mentioned this during the game yesterday, that he's been brought in as a as a ball playing defender, but in reality he's just a ball player, but not a defender. Mm-hmm. Um, is essentially what it isn't. And so, funnily enough, like a game like the Faroe Islands is where you think, well, ha- having Jack Hendry as your centre-half is is good because he'll kind of stride out of defence and all that type of stuff. I I think there is potentially a defender in there, but at the at the moment, at the current stage of his development and his career and all that, I don't think he's, um, I think he's worked out how to actually defend if, if that makes sense it's kind of I, I think I think if he you know if he steps up to a higher level and it looks like I mean the names that were linked with I mean maybe they'll have watched uh, the last two games and decided not to bother but it, it sounded <laughs> like there were kind of bigger teams you know like let's talk of Premier League and Bundesliga teams being after him now whether that's all just chat or not then maybe when he kind of takes that step up and he'll have uh, even though he'll have a re-evaluation of what he can do and stuff like that, and maybe it would improve. But I, I always was worried that, and and I think it's why. I I think if Ryan Jack had been fit for this game, I think McTominay would have remained in the back three. Is my feeling, um, and he had to kind of he had to move McTominay out because he, he was struggling in the middle, and then that that leaves this big gap, and Henry is one of a. Henry's a, he's just a very special type of defender, right? I mean, you don't get many players like that in terms of the ability that he's got. John Suter would be another one, right? They are centre-halves, and a centre-half you think of as a defender, but every single attribute that people talk about them being good at is about them, you know, being able to dribble and pass. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, I don't have a problem with have, with that, and, and that is an important ability. And if your defenders can't play, it really leaves you in trouble. But I think we probably need to, to move slightly more towards a someone who's a better defender than him but is an okay player my biggest so my biggest what I hate about watching Scotland under Clark and this isn't a criticism of Clark because I feel like he has to I feel like everything our whole style and everything that we do as a team is sort of hamstrung by our biggest weakness and everything we do is designed to protect that um, Craig, I think you made a really, I don't know, maybe on air at some point or, or off air, I always think you made a good point about why we play, uh, why McGregor and Jack and, and players like that sort of play more often in, the, in those central midfield positions than maybe what we'd naturally say. We'd naturally all go for McGinn and McTominay uh, and Armstrong and Christie if you're playing a midfield three. That would be your go-tos in terms of ability, level they play at, uh, and what most people would consider more rounded players. But, well, maybe this might, might be unfair on Jack, but you understand what I'm saying. Uh, and you always and you always made a good point about, obviously, these other players, due to them not being quite as uh, good and not maybe having quite as much going to their game, they're, they're slightly more selfless. So they will they will shut off those angles when they're defending. They will they they, they won't burst forward to the degree that another another like a McTominay or a McGinn might which helps us protect that glaring hole uh, in, in our back three. And then even if you go a step further than that, the fact that we play a back three, which I'm not saying I don't have a problem with a back three in, in general, 
But I do feel the only reason we play with a back three is really just to have sheer numbers in an area that we are we're weak. And that, so I just think everything that we do and the fact that we are we don't really play that fluently under Clark. We are very structured. And I just think that everything's done to, to hide a weakness. And I think that's really quite sad because I think in terms of our um, sort, of, sort of personnel that we have in other areas of the pitch and, and, and how good we are in other areas of the pitch, it's, it's quite a shame because I feel like we aren't able to take as advantage of that as we might be even if we had one other sort of defender that we could hang our, hang our hats on there. I don't know if you agree on all that. Yes, I, I know you're. A, a, ever since I've known you, Tony, you've been um, a, a big fan of the back three. I know, mm. since, you know, years and years, you've talked about you know mm. teams playing back threes and you wanting to see it more. And you're you're getting your wish this season, certainly. Absolutely. Um, but but no, I mean, I think if you remember back to Clark's earlier games, he did play. He played played a back four quite a lot. And what you saw time and again was we would have two centre halves in there. Yeah, maybe I think Cooper McKenna sometimes and. Well, played out various centre halves they tried out, but it was always the issue was that they couldn't they couldn't get the ball into the midfield and we ended up going long all the time and it didn't get the best out of any of the players. And that's that's fundamental. I think folk have kind of I've heard a few folks, you know, he's only playing the back three to, to get Tierney and Robertson in the same team, but I don't think that's true. I think no. It, it, it helped that Tierney started playing uh, left left centre back for Arsenal in a three. Um, he's obviously not anymore. He's back to playing left back, but had been for a while. And then he's went, well, why don't I try this? And, and it and it worked. I mean, I wasn't a fan of it to begin with. I'd say that that first run of games, probably right up to the Israel game, the first four, three three games, four games we played with it. Um, when we we drew Israel at home in the the Nations League, we went out to Czech Republic and, and got that win, but it was unconvincing. And then we drew with Israel, and in and in, in beat them on penalties in the playoff. I was like, this this we need to get away from this. But then you saw in the next couple of games what it could offer. Serbia was for me by a distance the best performance I've seen from Scotland, kind of Absolutely. away from home in a long time. And I thought Slovakia after that, despite losing, was very good. And Israel after that was fine. But I feel like not a step back in terms of like a massive step back, but I don't think we were as good, certainly not last night and, and probably not even against Austria in terms of how how fluent the system looked compared to kind of, you know, thinking out in, in somewhere like Israel. And I think it was very much like an opportunism from, from Clark this time in that he's went, well, as you say, he really we really need another centre-half to be able to play differently. Any any thought? Well, well, maybe Jack Hendry's it, and I think what we saw is, is Jack Hendry is not it. Um, I think he's he's probably played himself out of contention for for the Euro squad. I might be wrong. He might he might still sneak in just by by dint of default being able to play a bit, which we talked about. But yeah, I think that's where we were. But in terms of the system, I still I still kind of have faith in the system that if you have Ryan Jack back in the squad in the middle of the park. It's still got something to offer. I just think for the same reason as you, we've seen us play with a back four for as long and that back four has not worked well. The back four worked well last night when we went to half time, but that's a totally different scenario where you're playing a team who's who's holding on a team, you know, you're one nil down. So Israel, are, every time we've played Israel, as soon as they've gone a goal ahead, they've just sat back and let us play in front of them. So that made sense. But as soon as it went to one each again, the, the four didn't quite, look any better than the five in terms of or the three or whatever you want to call it in terms of actually being able to kind of break them down 
Yeah, because we ended up, I mean, the, the problem with the first half is we ended, it really ended up a back five. I mean, Robertson wasn't really playing, uh, wasn't really pushing forward at all, and O'Donnell was 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 pushed back. So it was, we ended up really, really fractured as a, as a team because it was like a five, two, three, and the two guys in, in the middle of the park were being asked to cover sort of a large width of the, of, of the pitch. And, and so they, they, we, were, we looked really sort of unstuck. We looked, as I said, fractured. And, and Israel were picking up pockets in front of us all the time. And uh, I'm interested to know your opinion on this because I think we, do, we, we can have a... We've played them four times now, so I think we can actually sort of like round this up. Do, do, you, do you believe we give them too much respect, Craig? That's something I see a lot. Do we give, do we give them too much respect? Because we seem to fit, sit off them. In my opinion... While I don't like it, well, they do have technical players in the last third that if we sort of press them quite a lot with our huge deficiency in the defence like we were talking about earlier, I could see us getting caught unstuck. So I could kind of see why, as much as I don't like it, I do kind of understand it. Yeah, I think it, it feels weird to say it, but Israel are obviously not really a great team for what they have. And, and, and in all the rankings, in fact, we, cons- we consistently finish ahead of them despite mm. never seeming to beat them is <laughs> because you know but they, they just seem to be a type the type of team that we always struggle with and it's teams with like these kind of wee tricky forwards and we've got loads mm. of them and and we never really seem to know i think because probably because we don't have a lot of them in our country like players of that type a lot of our a lot of our defenders and and even our midfield don't know how to play against them and um I mean, you can't level that at guys like like Tierney, Robertson, McTierney, who literally play at the top level, who have who have played against like Messi and stuff like yeah. that. Like, of course, have played against what being you know. But these are inferior players um, compared to like the top level players, and and they have some absolute junk in their squad as well. Guys that are, you know, nothing players. But yeah. the fact is, because they have these really dangerous forwards, we kind of seem to get. It's, I mean, it's partly in our head as well because it's just like we, we can't beat this team and all that. But I think that there is something to be said about it. And I think the thing that always strikes me with them is that you can say, oh, well, you know, that oh, they've, they've scored a long-range goal again. If you keep giving them the space 25 yeah. yards from goal, a team will score it. And they've got technical ability. They will score a long-range goal. The way you stop them scoring the long-range goal is that, you know, you press that ball a bit better and, and your goalkeeper doesn't, Make a howler. Um, yeah, that that leads us on. That leads us on quite nicely, Craig. I would say. So what? So the goal. Who who do you like analyzing that goal? Who do you believe was 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 at fault? Because I saw quite a few sort of people names getting bandied about at that period. So so I think you can look at the right hand side of defence. So I think o- O'Donnell is. It's hard to see again. He's a wing back, so you don't you don't expect him to be always in a right back position. It's it's obviously a kind of ball that comes in uh, into that area then Hendry I think gets caught in two minds he doesn't press the guy with the ball but he doesn't either shut out the one who ultimately takes the shot so he's kind of just standing there I think McTominay is very weak in the way he closes it down I think he's a, a bit slow to do so and I think he, he doesn't I don't think he's I don't think he's getting trying to get out of the way of the ball but I think he turns his body and gambles on it going one place and it goes another place and then Marshall should be saving that. He's he's unsighted. Yeah. You can see that he's behind. They can bend around McTominay a little bit, but a goalkeeper of Marshall's caliber and, and he is a good goalkeeper should be expected to save that. And I think in both games now, there's probably been a goal that you would say he he will be disappointed with. So that's um, two thirds. That's two thirds of the goals we've conceded. Um, 
So where does I'm obviously he's an absolute hero for that penalty save, but Craig Gordon is 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 a well known Scottish goalkeeper. I mean he's been involved in big games before, so you wouldn't be scared about him coming in. And obviously, you know, obviously the shouts are starting to get louder, like you would expect uh, with sort of trying to get Alan McGregor on the phone. Um, how would you feel about either Gordon taking Marshall's place? Or us? Would you would you be a fan of us going to attempt to get McGregor back in? So starting with Gordon, I expect Gordon to start the Pharaohs game. Um, and no, I, I wouldn't have a problem with Gordon being picked ahead of Marshall. I think they've always been, uh, sorry, not always been much for much. Gordon was was a much better goalkeeper than David Marshall. Um, but I, Marshall had had been playing very well for Scotland. But I do mm-hmm. think Gordon fundamentally is probably better than him. And I don't think there's a place for sentiment just because David Marshall saves the penalty to get you there doesn't mean he's guaranteed he's I mean he's guaranteed mm-hmm. he's put on the squad of course but he, he doesn't mean he's guaranteed um, to, to be starting the games in terms of McGregor I think it's he's it's, it's bat the dummy in his retirement in the first place you can claim whatever it is he wants to claim it was about it was about the fact he got a ban for um, lashing out in a game against Hibs wasn't it oh no sorry against Aberdeen against Lewis Ferguson the SFA banned him and about two weeks later he, he magically retired from international football that would be the thing that would worry me in terms of a goalkeeper I think Alan McGregor is probably still the best Scottish goalkeeper around but I also think he's probably not enough better than the other players that you would like you know, definitely want to disrupt things by bringing him in. I mm-hmm. wouldn't, I wouldn't be bothered if he was. I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, refuse to support the team or anything like that. But <laughs> I just think, I think he's probably not, he's not enough better that you would be like, oh, we, we absolutely have to get this guy. Yeah, it's in. not like a top, it's not like a top yeah, striker or it's something. Not, it's like not Manuel Neuer you're bringing in. It's, it's, uh, it's a 38 year old goalkeeper still who's, um, you know, he's had I a good can- season and all that. I would agree with you. Like the Craig Gordon one, the thing that I would really like about Craig Gordon is he's got a pension for the spectacular, uh, and and going into a tournament where I mean, there's no doubt that we are, whether we like it or not, we're probably the weakest team in our group. Um, I don't think anyone would argue with that, really. So you're imagining there's going to be some large periods where we might be on the back foot, and the goalkeeping position is is really important going into this tournament for us if we want to. Because the beauty of this Euros is the third place you can scrape in. So, you know what I mean? Like, one good result could be enough for us to go further in a tournament than, than we ever have. So, that, that so a goal, the goalkeeping position for me becomes really quite an, an important position. And, and, and I'll just in my heart of hearts, I'd like to think that Craig Gordon, if it was going to be something outrageous, a low header down at the bottom right, and it's going to get scooped from borderline behind the behind the line. I picture Craig Gordon doing that more than I do David Marshall and just Gordon's a really reliable goalkeeper. He just, his biggest weakness has always been that he looks like he's never kicked a football in his life uh, when, when he gets the, when the, when the ball's at his feet. Uh, but let, let's move on to other parts of the, of the team. Obviously you were saying you were excited about uh, Che Adams and, and he was involved in the, and the goal. What were the big differences for you, Craig? Watching, Ad- I don't. I, I, firstly, is Adams a player you were you were familiar with? Have you seen? Have you watched him play for Southampton? I've seen a bit of Southampton, not loads, but I've seen enough, like of like to know. Like you, you can tell. Like you just watch a player for ten minutes. Sometimes you're like, like, you've got something about you. Mm-hmm. And I think he's he's not a perfect player. I think he's he's probably technically 
still still a bit wanting, like compared to, compared to players at the level he's playing his club football at. I mean, mm-hmm. compared to the Scotland squad, he's fine. Um, but what what you saw straight away is that like directness, and he and he's quite quick, decent touch, and his link up is very very crisp. He's very very. <laughs> Everything seems very precise with him in terms mm-hmm. of how he links things up. And I really like that a couple of times he got the ball back to goal, even kind of dropped towards the midfield with it. And, and the way he played them around the corner and stuff like that, I was like, that's it was very quick and sharp. Mm-hmm. And, and and I think I'd made a comment that like we are set up and should be a really good counter-attacking team with the players we have and with the way that we play in the rest of the park. And, and someone like Adams is well suited to that, but... A lot of the other players are a bit slow. It seemed it was all very slow to build up the counters. Mm-hmm. Like a, a couple of times last night, even at the end of the game, like every were, were were clearly going all out for the win at the end. And we had a wee a couple of wee openings and it just felt like the last pass was always just a, a wee bit a wee bit off. And um but Adam yeah, totally, especially like sorry, especially like I mean Andy Robertson's the, the person to real I mean, we get the severe criticism there. I mean it's crossing lets um down so frequently when he's away with Scott. And this is the thing that frustrates me about Andy Robertson because it's not about um caliber of player around him. And it's not like and I always find for Scotland it's, it's some of the basics that he doesn't do well. And that's nothing to do with sort of like not having the same players and the same speed of thought around him. It's like poor crossing, not sleeping at the back post, picking up men. We've seen him like lose men for goals and stuff, and that's where. The, the criticism for me comes with that. It's like fundamentals of, of who he is. And crossing's his number one attribute. Um, sort of pace and crossing. And for us, 99% of the time, the crossing's poor. It's not even like there's not like targets in the box. Balls going out the going out the park. And I find that frustrating. But sorry, I interrupted you there, Craig. Go on, you go. No, it was, I mean, yeah, I was just talking about that. And, and Adam, but Adam, you saw it for the goal. He, he got the ball, he ran into the space, he drove into the space, his pass but was actually a bit behind Fraser, but, uh, but Fraser dug it out and scored really nicely. If we can get a bit more of that from Adams, I, th- I think he showed he's, he's clearly got more about him, and especially in a game like that where there's space and then dikes. You might think, well, he'd probably, he'd probably play all the games at Euros, but you might think a game like England where, where dikes might just thrive, you know, just, just being a shit up against centre half because, mm. you know, that's what he's good at. But Adams is, um, I, yeah, I liked what I saw. But 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 just to kind of go on to your point, like about um, about Robertson, it was especially at the end. There was a couple of times where we worked mm. these openings where they, they got you know in behind in the kind of wide area, like kind of driving into the box, and not once. I think it was always, and I think it was Tierney once as well. But but not once was the the, the quality of the delivery good enough, and that's what let us down. It's like. You can say, and we, and we definitely didn't play well, but there are plenty. There were plenty of opportunities that we created, even you know when it went to one-one half chances, not full chances that that should have we should have done better with. And that's where you can say, yes, you can criticise the manager. And I think I think there is deserved criticism for for some of what what was um, some of the way we set up and some of the attitude and stuff like that. But I also think there were several players who didn't play to their abilities. I think McTominay the other night was excellent against Austria. I thought he was very poor um, yeah, um, totally. against against Israel. Um, yeah, we, we didn't get a lot out of, of many of the attacking players, to be honest. I think John, I thought John, I thought John McGinn looked tired because uh, McGinn's such an obvious player, like because of his style. Uh, when he dropped, when he's a bit tired, he drops off five percent. You can see it from a mile away. I always, I always feel with John McGinn. And to be honest, for John McGinn, from what I've read and a little bit of what I've been seeing, his forms um, sort of struggled a bit. Aston Villa. And again, that's not surprising. He came off the back of a major injury and, and he's played sort of constantly 
um, and and he's not superhuman, even though there'll be Hibs fans who who would who would tell you otherwise. But uh, I would say, and I totally agree. McTominay, I thought looked really off the pace. He, he kind of went. Like, I was disappointed in McTominay because I rate McTominay really highly, and I watched. I'd fa- I've done a bit. Of, I've done a draft fantasy football this year with English Premiership, Craig, and obviously being locked in the house, I found myself. I've actually watched quite a lot of English football, which wasn't the same as maybe the year before. I didn't watch as much. But uh, McTominay is sort of great and he sort of imposes himself on the game and I, th- I felt like he was completely in hiding. I just didn't really see... I, I'm, I'm around and, and I found that quite strange because um, I loved it. It was like you you made a point uh, on our WhatsApp group about him being sort of like a German midfielder and, I, and that really resonated with me when you said that, Craig, because again, it was one of those, I couldn't put my finger on why but the second you said it, uh, I think it's like his, his physique and style does sort of lend itself to that. But I totally agree. He was he was disappointing, as was McGinn. Christie didn't do much when he came. That was another thing I wanted to ask you, Craig. The subs. The subs seemed to cause a bit of problems on online. So what were your feelings on that? Hey, so so the halftime sub, I thought I thought had to be done. I thought we had to change mm-hmm. the shape, um, Henry. Which was quite brave. That was quite brave of Clark. In fairness, it's something... I mean, I'm talking about him being quite a cautious manager. Uh, and obviously, that's always what he thought of. He's... You could tell he worked to Mourinho a lot of the time, I think, when you're watching Clark. But he's, uh, I thought at halftime, I liked it because it was quick, the right the right choice, and clearly showed that we were interested in winning that match. Yeah, it, so yeah. I quite like that. And it, and it did leave, I think it, the, the only the only downside of it was it blunted Tierney a little bit because T- Tierney, I, I saw people saying, you know, on the basis of Tierney winning man of the match the other night, he should be playing wing back. And it's, well, no, he, he won man of the match playing centre half because <laughs> that's what got, that's what you got, you got the most out of him because I think Robertson takes a lot of the headlines and, and, and Tierney, it kind of creates a wee bit of space for Tierney and, and you see him mm. driving out of defence and stuff. But when he's playing in a two, it's much harder to do that. I don't think it's, the strength of again, he didn't have to defend, which made it easier because Israel had, had sat off at that point. Um, but but Christie coming on, it, it makes sense. You've got a foot, another footballer on the park and someone who makes things happen. I thought Christie finished the game against Austria very, very well, but yeah, he, he didn't impact the game a great deal. Um, but I don't think that means you shouldn't bring him on. I think taking Adams off was was curious. I, I don't know if it was it was fitness, but I thought he he probably should have stayed on the park. Um, a bit longer, even even though you um, Dykes is, is obviously you, you want it, you want to keep playing Dykes and giving them chances in it, and I think yeah. that was deserved enough. I was baffled by the criticism. I, I know that that you 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 thought he shouldn't have come on either, but I was baffled by the criticism of Kenny McLean because I thought he actually changed things for the better for Scotland when he came on. Um, I no, actually, I'd agree. I'd agree with that, Craig. I think uh, my criticism came at the very start. Like basically, when the sub was made, I think we made, I made a point saying Armstrong every day of the week for me and in, in that position and that thing. But I have to say, as you were saying, like Kenny McLean wasn't poor when, when he came on and he kept it ticking over. And we the ball was sticking with McLean when when it was moving at that sort of last third. He really surprised me. I think I spoke about this before. It was the game against Belgium away when Clark just had taken over. We, we beat uh, beat Cyprus in the. Uh, I just assume every game's against Israel. We beat Cyprus <laughs> in the uh, at Hampden, and it was a wee bit un, uh, unconvincing, obviously. And then he played. I think it was McLean and McTominay in the centre of the park um, that night, and and I was like, that you know, we've got all these players. Why enough is Kenny McLean playing? And he surprised me by because he actually, you know, he was really nice and neat on the ball. He, mm-hmm. he, he shuttles well. He, he does a lot of things really well. And I think potentially behind um, behind McGinn and Jack, he's probably been the third best performing central midfielder 
under Clark um, in that time, you know, and that's not that's not even thinking about the two penalties he scored because I say that's mm. not really important when you're talking about playing the performance, game performance. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think he he's, he's an underrated player actually, McLean. Should they should they still be making appearances for Scotland? There are question marks about that because just because he's you know a thirty year old mid or whatever he is midfielder, there are lots of players in that position. But when he does come on, I always think he, he does very well. Um, and and who else was that? Was that who else come on? Did anyone else come on? Was well, Armstrong that? came on. Armstrong came on right at the end. And um, yeah, Armstrong. Armstrong, I thought was quite poor the other night. And I I I'm a massive fan of Stuart Armstrong, and I was always assumed when Clark took over that he would be like an absolutely perfect Clark type player because he's very he's very lateral. He's very up and down the park. Right? Mm-hmm. He's not always side to side. He, he makes runs. He can bust into space. But actually, I think he's been very disappointing for Scotland in general. For a while, like mm. in general, I mean, um, he's had some really good performances. But I think I think we should expect to see more with him, especially with the club form he's on just now. So, so yeah, the subs. He's he's still hamstrung by the fact that like he's not got that many good, good players on the bench. Like you've not got mm. you've not got game changers. Like you, if you're looking at attackers, well, beyond yeah. Beyond and the best thing about bringing Adams in is that it pushes McBurney one down the pecking order, which we've not seen him play a minute in this this mm. um, set of games. Nisbet could have, someone like Nisbet could have come on, but it's, it's I, I wouldn't have went for it then. Not, I think that's a lot of pressure to put yeah. on him on his first cap and, and as well. He's a. I don't think he. I don't think he would have changed the game in any way. I think like I expect to see him make his debut against the Pharaohs mm. at some point, but. I don't. I didn't really have a problem with the changes that were made. Um, I, in hindsight, Christie didn't do very well. In fact, none of them really. I mean, Christie didn't do very well when he came on, and, and Dykes was okay, but didn't get a lot of service and stuff like that. But at the time when you made them, you thought, well, we need to change this. We need a bit something a bit different, and, and that's what they gave us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think um, I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add on, on that game, but I thought we'd maybe take that on to the what you were what you're thinking of for the for the Faroe Islands game. Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, just just to add, I think it's it's disappointing because I think when you tar, if you're saying if you want to win the group, you're probably targeting beating Israel away. I, I think. Yeah, but I think also it's folk folk something being a bit OTT on. You know how that was out and all that stuff because I, I don't really think that's the case at all. I don't think it's a given that Austria will go to Israel and win. Yeah, I don't think Austria are, are. I didn't see much from the other night to suggest that they're, they're a particularly amazing team, to be honest. And well, they've they've always um, even when they made Euro two thousand and sixteen, they were thought of as dark horses there, uh, uh, Austria, and they they got absolutely pummeled out. And this is thought of as a bit of a golden generation, but they're very unconvincing. Uh, it seems like, and, and obviously they've got the same issues as us. They don't really qualify for for much tournaments. It's, it really isn't a million miles from from us in general. Austria have always thought of as a thought of as a, a decent footballing country, and, and they and they like their football, but they don't really not in the in my lifetime they've not really done much. Well, no, their last World Cup was the, the same one as ours, but yeah. um, so so they've got the exact same pressures on them. The, the advantage mm. they have is that they. More or less guaranteed at the Nations League playoff, which which we are not. Now that could mm. that could in theory work to a benefit later on if they if they finish second, and they're then. just like oh, well, we're, no, no, not that way because we would still have to finish above them. But it, if 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 it gets to the last games and they're that they might not have the same desperation to finish second that we do, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. but the 
the thing is, I, um, Denmark. Denmark is the last games a positive for us, I reckon, because I get. I'm starting to get the feeling that Denmark might just sort of walk away with the group. Yeah, but the thing is, we've we've not lost the game here. None of these results are like awful results. It, it puts pressure on that you have to start winning games. But Clark's only lost twice in 15 games now. We don't lose a lot of games, and the calendar that we've got is fairly front-loaded in terms of how difficult the games are so this triple header assuming we can beat the pharaohs and end up with five points the next triple header's got denmark and austria away with with moldova at home in the middle of it if you can somehow end up with another five points from that then you've got a run of three games that you should win so i think it's moldova away now yeah of course you can say it's moldova away and nothing's guaranteed you've got no. the pharaohs at home and you've got um israel at home and again, there's no guarantees with this real at all. But if you can just if we can just keep ourselves in it after the first two triple headers, then you've got games that you can win, and then you, you just set up that with Denmark and, and see what happens. I think it's yeah, it's disappointing. You'd love to have six points, you definitely want to have four. But losing either of those games, particularly losing to Austria, to be honest, because they they are likely to that be a gives rival. them three yeah. points. Yeah, yeah, that um, gives them the three points, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, last night, we would love to have taken 18 points off of Israel, Moldova and the Pharaohs, but I think the realistic chances of that happening were always quite slim. What what it gives us is less margin for error. Um, but, but I was just looking last night, and um, as a third seed, there, there was two third seeds qualified for the Euros um, and, and by finishing second, and neither of them did this kind of mystical, you have to take, you know, you have to beat the... Four seeds twice, and you have to um, you have to get points. I think I think it was uh, fin- Finland um, got pumped off the four seeds, and um, Turkey. Well, the other ones lost both games to the second seeds and still managed to qualify. So the idea that you're you're shutting yourself out after two games, two of your harder games, I, I think is a little bit extreme as, as far as it's disappointing. What is obviously the case is that we have to beat the Faroe Islands um, which um, is a game coming yeah, up yeah I think I think the way you're talking Craig is just is an example of, of our psyche and years and years of uh, seeing, the, seeing the same movie so I, 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 I understand why people get quite defeatist quite fast with, with Scotland on those ones but looking at the Faroe Islands game um, I'm personally I'm hoping to see Dykes and Adams up front together uh, even if it's in a 3-5-2 um, or I, I think he might continue going. I think we'll see a lot about whether this back three is going to be with us forever. Going in, well, sorry, not forever, but at least taking us through to the Euros. Um, if he uses, if he plays the back three against even the Faroe Islands, that'll tell me that he just wants to keep on using it and keep on getting better and better and better at it. But I would like to see what can be done with the front two, and those guys are clearly our two sort of main strikers. So I would, I, I, I'm of the opinion, and like give. That gives, and I would also, unfortunately, probably not play Robertson. I imagine he's got some sort of deal here, but I would think that I would, I would like to see Robertson with two strikers to hit because against Austria, Robertson's crossing wasn't quite so bad. It was decent. So I would like to so I basically strip back every excuse Robertson can have <laughs> for, for playing for Scotland and, and give him like two genuine centre forwards as targets to hit in this Faroe Islands game. That would be my sort of mindset. Yeah. And I mean, he's done it before. I mean, the Israel game in the the playoff game against Israel, um, he started with Dykes and McBurney in that game. So, mm. so we have, you know, we have had 
two strikers playing in these kind of games before. Um, and, and and yeah, I mean, I expect to see another striker on the park. So I think you're right. I think it probably will be Dykes and Adams together. Wouldn't be a mil- I wouldn't be entirely surprised to see either make Burnley or Nisbet start the game either, to be honest. Just I think he will make changes. I think the, the number of games that he has in that period of time, and I think you have to gamble to some extent. You're not you're not taking the Pharaohs lightly because they're not as bad a team as people think they are. Like like they, they yes, we should beat them, we absolutely should beat them, but they're they're not like the Faroe Islands of when we drew with them all those yeah, when before. we did when we did like, fuck up against they them. Were, yeah. They were rubbish then, but they, they're like a wee bit more professional now as an outfit, but we should still be beating them. And I think he'll make a few changes. So I would expect maybe to see a couple of the guys that, that haven't played um played a lot. It, it would be interesting to see if he goes with the back three, if he goes because I think I agree with you, I don't think Robertson will play this game. Um, I could be wrong. Um It'll be interesting to see if he does go with the back three, if he puts someone like Fraser in one of the wing-back positions where you've, you know, got... Because, you know, a, a player he has played there before who's got a bit of attacking kind of ability. I would expect to probably see Scott McKenna in for Hanley in this game because I feel like mm-hmm. they want to give McKenna a game. Um, who else Who else do I think I, will play? I think expect Mc- to see... You see, Pop, maybe... So maybe you're thinking maybe Fraser or maybe Palmer will come in for O'Donnell on, on that right-hand side. Or Fraser can play on the left, I suppose, if that was... Because uh, I agree with you, I think it would be good idea of us if we wanted to keep playing the back three, um, that we use our sort of more attacking players in these sort of wing back positions. Because we are, even if Pharaohs have improved, we're definitely going to see most of the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean they're they're going to they're going to try and play for a for a draw. That 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 seems fairly obvious to me. They'll try and hit us on the break. I would like, and I do think he probably will, if he goes with the back three, and I would like to stick with the back three because I think just just stick with it, keep going. Um, mm-hmm. I think McTominay will drop back into defence, um, drop Hendry out. Um, I wouldn't mind if Hendry does play. And then I think we might see McLean start this game because I think he'll, he'll want mm-hmm. to freshen it up in the middle. Um, yeah, I, I expect probably six or seven changes, to be honest. And, and people, mm-hmm. people, you know... Gordon and goals, like you were saying. Moan about taking games lightly and stuff like that. But we have got a squad that there are... A bunch of players are much of a muchness and you, you don't really notice a big difference when players swap out. And I think for me, I made that point about the Slovakia game way back, way back when, when we lost 1-0, when we changed the entire team after the Serbia game. You didn't really weaken the team that much by making a living change. Oh. And, and and I think uh, I think that's that's the point. I think we've got a squad of with the exception, I think that there's exceptional players in the squad who are, who are Tierney Roberts, as club level, Tierney Roberts and McTominay and possibly McGinn. And beyond that, I think there are there are guys that can be changed out at will, to be honest. I don't mm-hmm. think there's anyone else that you have to you say, oh, they must play every game for Scotland or anything of the sort. No, no, I totally agree. I think you're right. We'll see. Um, I think we'll see Nisbet at some point in the game. But what do you, do you expect? So, I mean, we we win that game. Do we win that game, Craig, for, for us to start? Yeah, yeah. I think we'll win. Like, it'll be like 2-0 or something or 2-1. Or they, they, you know, they'll, they'll score at some point and we'll shite ourselves. But I think, yeah, I think we'll win. I, 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 yeah, yeah, we will. Right. Well, let's move on, Craig, to... 1990, the 16th of June, 1990, where uh, the number one song at that point was uh, World in Motion, uh, which I'm sure, is that a song you were a fan of? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, um, it's, obviously, the, it's obviously an England kind of theme song, but yeah, I mean, New, New Order are, uh, you know, a, a fantastic band, and yeah, I, I do really like this song. There's two yeah. England World Cup songs that I really like, which is uh, which is World in Motion and um, and Three Lines. So I just think are as as songs are excellent. 
Um, and, and John Barnes uh, rapping on it is kind of a highlight. Yeah, um, I mean, that goes down in legend, legendary status. The day after the game, the number one changes, because I think that was a Saturday or something we were playing the game, uh, and it goes to Elton John sacrifice, um, which is what we make every time we watch Scotland. So that was fitting. What, what I noticed was uh, at number 45 in the charts on this date was uh, Say It With Pride by the Scotland squad, which uh, which featured uh, Donnie Munro from Runrig and Fish. Um, yeah, uh, from, well-known Hibs fan. Yeah, uh, it kind of. If you listen to the song, it's on YouTube. It, it kind of sounds like all of the Scottish music of that time. Like there's a little bit of Deacon Blue in it. There's a little bit of like. Um, I, I'm not saying it's as good as these bands, obviously, but it's like a, it's a little bit of like all of those bands of that era, like the Scottish bands. And you, you, it, the song immediately sounds very, very Scottish. Um, and, and the the kind of chorus is say it with pride the lions will roar in the sun um, <laughs> there we go um, Scottish cringe for you right there <laughs> it, 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 it reached a high of uh, 45 uh, just just like the the uh, vote for yes so um, <laughs> I might see I might uh, I might message Fowler uh, he's going to be raging when I say this now because I'm now giving him work to do uh, when he's in a really bad way right, right now with his own house moving uh, but maybe see if we can get a rip of that song and put it on on the uh, on the at the end of this at the end of this podcast because I've not heard it and I'm now very very I, very. I, I hadn't heard of it before, so I, I shoved it on when I was listening, and, and yeah, I, I wouldn't say it was good. I would say it was very. I, I say you can tell it's Scotland. I'll put it that way. Like you can sorry, you can tell it's Scottish music because it, it, it's like there's like some un unmeasurable sound that it just has to it. But yeah, I mean. Um, it would be nice. I, I I've not heard any plans of a of a release for um for this one, which I think is a shame. I'd like to see something with the players on it, and I'd like it not to be um yes, sir, I can boogie. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I think that's got its place, but I think it would be nice to see something original um put uh-huh. together for the tournament. But I I don't think, especially with all the COVID carry on, I don't think it's probably practical to do at all. Yeah, try to get them all into a recording studio. Uh, but it's, uh, it's sorry, but the entire the entire squad has to quarantine and can't play at the Euros because <laughs> they were in they were in uh, recording a song. In a week. <laughs> <laughs> well, because um, they think it would be good because it'd be good to. It's it's a sad because the the build up sort of tainted for this this Euros cause of obvious things that were that we're all going through. So it's it's a bit. I think something like that would be really nice as a, as a boost. Like, even if it's shit, because it'd just be a laugh. Obviously, seeing all these guys uh, having been put in these really uncomfortable moments. I mean, everyone was, even just doing the national anthem was quite funny the other night because some of them were, were loud and proud. You could hear John McGinn uh, screaming it. And then obviously, Che Adams doesn't know the words. Yeah, <laughs> no, he was, he was just, and he was sort of just mouthing, uh, like, just not even words, just clearly just moving his lips. But I, enjoyed, but I would love to get that. And I think it would be nice. Uh, for us after so long to do sort of more humorous fun stuff for us to take advantage because we've not had it for so long in terms of humorous fun stuff um, June the 10th 1990 in the US box office was another 48 hours which is a 1990 American buddy cop film with Eddie Murphy Nick Nolte uh, and Brian James uh, and it's a sequel to 92 film 48 hours and, no, and it's a San Francisco police officer. I'd never heard of this. No. Its tagline is "Boys are back in town." Uh, Eddie Murphy, I, Nick Nolte. I have never seen this film, but I can already imagine exactly what it's like. Um, yeah. And and I don't. So I don't need to watch it in some to some extent. Um, and then they don't. 
And then, so I think it looks like basically this is what Bad Boys, for example, would yeah, have so precursor. ripped off. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so, so this, but the game, Craig. Oh, sorry. On you go. On you go. I was going to say this was the last uh, the last time Scotland won a game at a World Cup. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that's quite sad. And I was going to say this to you. Yeah, I was thinking about where I'd be an update. This is a, even though Sweden had an awful tournament, uh, they did go on to the semi finals in 1992, didn't they? And, and they they sort of beat the eventual winners, Denmark, in the groups. So, and the Sweden team is of a, a decent caliber. There's names you know there. And you obviously know that Sweden are a sort of well known European football inside. This would go up as one of our better results in a tournament, would it? Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I mean, the, you, you look at the, the names kind of in that Sweden team and we'll talk about them later, but every single member of that Sweden squad won at least 25 caps for them. Um, and, and there were several players with like 60, 70, over 100 caps and several of them that, that finished third in the World Cup as well, um, you know, four years on. So, yeah, they were they were a, a good team. Maybe they weren't at the time because I'd say they, they lost all three of their games 2-1 at this World Cup, um, uh-huh. including this one to us. Um, but the, yeah, I would say it goes down quite quite well. I think we we also did we also beat Sweden at another World Cup. I feel like we did, um, which was the, the goal the, when Gordon Strachan runs up to the advertising hold and yeah. he puts his leg on it. That, I think that was also against Sweden. Um, it would be up there as kind of a best result um, on, until this year, of course, um, when we when we'll, we'll start uh, we'll start smashing teams left, right, and centre. <laughs> um, yeah, so. I was going to ask you if you could give me like a sort of like a feel of um, our shape going into this tournament. What were the sort of like expectations on the the Scotland team? I, I think I mean it was the exact same format as this Euros have, right? It was um, you know six groups, six groups, and some of the best runners up go through. It. And I think looking at our group, when we had Costa Rica and Sweden plus Brazil. We probably were expecting to grow, go through. I think we were. Um, I think we, we were a good team. We were we were consistent tournament qualifiers at this point. I think we'd qualified for every World Cup since uh, '74 at this point. Um, so we were we were really um, a consistent tournament team. We were a good team. You look at the, the strength of the, the team that was out. I think we've probably fancied it. And then obviously the Costa Rica one, which we, we've covered in the memorable games already, would have been a big blow. And then. Um, we really need meant we really needed to win this to set up, you know, you know, get get the points on the board and then hope that we could take something off Brazil in the final game, which we actually nearly did. We can probably talk about that afterwards. Um, yeah, it's like sort of like this it's sort of this tournament sort of like encapsulates Scott Scotland's national team. I thought traditionally it's like um, the sort of really disappointing. I think Costa were probably underrated. I'm sure that's what was talked about at the time. And there's this big issue around these times when there wasn't quite as much sort of coverage of other teams. We were even talking about when we'd done the Peru game before, like Peru were talked about, and obviously look at it, they had a really, really good team um, when we played them. But, so we had the disappointing result against what people thought was like a, a, a non-footballing country at the time. Then we have a really good uplifting result against a, a peer or a team that maybe we even be considered better than us. And then the, the glorious failure of uh, Brazil. So it was everything that you would sort of expect from a sort of Scotland uh, tournament. If you like, I was interested in the qualifying campaign, um, Craig. I, I was looking up at that. It actually looks really quite um, an impressive. Like it's a, the group: Yugoslavia, France, Norway, and Cyprus. And if you look at the points tallies, everyone get it looked like it was a game where points were trading hands. We done quite well to get with that, including beating what France two 0 
um, in Scotland when that's when we like Didi Deschamps, Laurent Blanc. I mean, it's a it's a good France team. That that France game, my my mum always tells me is the, the very first uh, football game that I was at because uh, I was I was actually insider at the time. Um, she, she was right, okay. with me when she went to the um, the two 0 win over France, which was in um, in March '89. So I was born in August. So. She probably didn't even quite have a bump at that point, but but I was I was there and uh, Mo Johnson scored a double, so she always talked about that game, and and we actually very nearly uh, threw away qualification in that campaign. Was, I think with three games to go, we only needed a point um, to qualify, and uh, we managed to we we lost to Yugoslavia um, away, having led at half time. We got pumped by France um, away, and then it was Norway at Hamden that we had to we had to just take take a point to make sure we got through. Um, Ali McCoy scored just before half time and then Norway scored right at the end I think it was a blunder from I think it was Jim Leighton who's in goals and um, obviously typical manner that Scotland just can't comfortably do anything but no I think um, the um, yeah, yeah, you look at that group now and, and you think well that's a really strong group that we've got out of um, and so I can't remember if we talked about any of these games at all, but but it was a bunch of really impressive results um, at the start of the campaign, and then we we limped over the line. Um, and yeah, so I think as I say, I think this was a strong Scotland team that probably should have got through the group. But let me do. Let me go through the Scotland team for for the actual game against Sweden. We had Jim Leighton in goals, uh, defence, uh, Martin McLeod, Craig Levine. Uh, I mean, it doesn't actually have it. It was a four-four-two, but the lineups I've got is it putting them all in the exact position for me. We had Alex McLeish, Dave McPherson, and then you're looking at you've got Morris Malpass, uh, Paul McStay, Roy Aitken, who was who was captain through this, and obviously his pass uh, created the sort of second goal. I don't know much about Roy Aitken, but I always fear like that he was a, he was a much better player than like the name doesn't seem to get as much of the accolades as maybe some of the rest of the players in this team. And then we had Morris Johnston up front and Robert Fleck, who was there. And uh, we had subs coming on, which were Ali McCoist and, and uh, Paul McStay came on for jury. But, um, and Andy Gorham was on the bench. So this was, as was John Collins and Gary McCarthy. This is would have been when these guys were really young players. And this would have been the period, sort of Jim Leighton, we're beginning Jim Leighton and Andy Gorham's sort of like battle for the gloves that sort of never, ever seemed to end, Craig. Yeah, I think, um, and and I think uh, I was trying to also kind of work out, you know, what was what was the setup for this game. I know McLeish and Levine would have been the centre halves. So I think Malpass and McPherson were the fullbacks, and I think it was Roy Aitken mm-hmm. and Murdo McLeod in the middle with kind of McCall um, just kind of just kind of narrow in the left, and and Jury kind of playing playing as a kind of winger, and then Johnson and Fleck up front. And it's interesting because there's a bunch of seems bizarre. It seems bizarre for. Sorry, sorry, it'll seem bizarre for people listening um, of, a, of a certain vintage about someone like Gordon Jury being a wide player. But he did do that quite a lot, didn't he? But he just, he, he sort of looked every bit a number nine in, the, in his style and play. Yeah, I think, I mean, even even the 98 World Cup for Gordon Jury was still, mm. still there. I think he played he played wide right for most of that tournament as well. Mm. Um, but, but yeah, so... It's interesting because you look back at the names that are on the bench, as you say, and they, they are more much very iconic Scottish players. And yet you've got like Robert Fleck starting the game and it was only his second cap and he only ever got four. So it was it was very kind of a strange selection of a guy who was probably in form at the time and, and, and played. But I think it really didn't work because I think he, he, didn't, he didn't do a lot at the tournament or anything like that. But um, it was... 
uh, yeah, you look at that and it's a really strong team and, and they they dominated the game. They they, they kind of pummeled Sweden and um so so the opening goal came came in the first half. Uh, it was a corner, Dave McPherson flicked it on at the front post, and it was a really nice kind of brave finish from Stuart McCall, kind of poking his leg in, mm-hmm. uh, just kind of sneaking it under the goalkeeper. Um and then later on, I think it was uh, it was Fleck, as I had mentioned, got got the ball wide wide right, and it was a really nice pass into Roy Aitken. Aitken had kind of driven into the box, got a shot away, and then got tripped as he was chasing the rebound. No, it was it Roy Aitken sort of played the pass. I thought that played it inside. Um, was that Fleck? Well, maybe I'm wrong. Sorry. I, I don't know, but 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 we we got the penalty and Mo Johnson stuck away. And then as we talked about typical Scotland fashion, an absolutely rotten goal to concede. Yeah, it was a, a big long punt um, out the defence. I think it was Stefan Schwartz for Sweden. Um, no defender goes anywhere near it, and Stromberg, who could come on as a sub for them, just poked it in. Um, but we did hold on to to win the game, and and that set up. Um, yeah, we we, we were. On two points, and basically, if we drew with Brazil in the last game, we were pretty much guaranteed to go through. Um, and they scored in the 81st minute, and it was a it was an error from Jim Leighton that, that kind of fumbled out a long shot out into um, one of those like agonising goals. I think it's Gary Gillespie then goes and, and makes quite a nice tackle on the player who's on rushing, but it kind of falls to Muller at the back post, and he just taps it in from a weird angle, and. That meant I think then Scotland had to kind of wait because it was this third place thing. We were a third place team and we were like looking for results to go in our favour in a bunch of other games. And then it was like as the, the tournament went on, none of the results went for us. And then I think it, it was compounded. I think yeah, Uruguay scored against South Korea um, in like the very last game, which guaranteed we, we were out. So it was that like agonising elimination as well. Like it wasn't, you didn't know straight away you were out. You had to kind of mm-hmm. wait and see. Um, Standing about. Yeah, so, so I assumed you might have had some smut for us, Tony, on this game. Oh, of course. Uh, I, I went ahead and, and found some smut. And uh, uh, when I saw the names on the bench and the name Andy Gorham was there, that was uh, my eyes were drawn to him almost uh, instantly. Um, and they just, so I just typed in Andy Gorham scandal. This is what I do. I'm very simple <laughs> uh, when, when I do these things. <laughs> and it was the free library. I'm not really sure what this, what, paper it's from that has been printed so i'm going to just say allegedly because i don't know <laughs> i can't really check this source but it's from the um the free library by fairflex so it's all about old articles that have been in a time and people will probably remember this oh it's the mirror it's the mirror there we go the mirror of course it is it's smart um so this is the byline by siobhan mcfadgen and the uh, Football wild man Andy Gorham is a sex maniac who should come with a government health warning, his anguished wife said yesterday. Uh, it's quite, these are like, this is funny because of the language, but you always, you always have to remember this is someone, someone, his wife probably is feeling terrible during all, all of this. Um, speaking hours after learning of his latest fling with a 15 stone tattooed granny, Miriam Gorham told her Andy's insatiable sex drive destroyed their marriage. Miriam revealed that if she wasn't prepared to have sex with Andy, he would have sex anytime, any place, anywhere with anyone. And she, so furious Miriam hit out at the Rangers and Man U goalie. And so this is when he was on his little, uh, that little bit when he went back to Man U and played the sort of loan spell for, for four games under Fergie. And then she was saying, yeah, he should come with a government health warning. He, um, he, he destroys lives. And it's all about, she wants rid of him. This is the beginning of the end. She wants a divorce. And saying that Andy Gorham sort of been begging to get back into her life. But I mean, I don't think everyone knows that Andy Gorham's had a penchant for um 
I mean, I don't even know what the finer things in life are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not sure a 15 stone granny is one of the finer things. <laughs> anyway. um, so, so I just looked up, it's not smart. I just always look up for funny things about the opponents. I think I'd already covered them. And I think I pre- we previously did a qualifier against Sweden uh, a wee bit later on that Stefan Schwartz, when he signed for Sunderland, had a clause in his contract that meant he wasn't specifically wasn't allowed to go into space. Um <laughs> Because he he'd said he wanted to travel to space right. and he wanted to buy a ticket on like the first Virgin space thing. The other thing that still never happened because it's almost like Richard Branson's just like a big uh, just just loves the PR of it rather than yeah. actually wanting to do it. Um, Glenn Hyson Hussein, who played for Liverpool, um, I just got a quote in the qualifying for this tournament in a game against England at Wembley in October 1988. Hyson was awarded six wasps out of five by expressing newspaper for a heroic defensive performance. So I simply use a, a wasp as like the way of, of, of showing the, the score. So he got six out of five. So good was his performance um, in that game. Um, Anders Limpar opened a bar in Stockholm called the Limp Bar. Um, terrible patter. <laughs> and Class uh, Ingerson, midfielder, uh, went on to be a lumberjack after he finished playing football. So it says, I don't think there's a more manly profession than being a lumberjack, said the ex-PSV and Marseille midfielder. However, it was probably more so in the past. Now there are machines to do everything and the job is not as heavy duty anymore. Too bad in a way, as it is good for your health. So, some some interesting <laughs> characters. I think it's hard to argue that lumber, like lumberjack probably is uh, probably one of the most manly. and <laughs> I find that hard to, to argue with as well. I mean, that Scotland team, the Scotland team had a few, like obviously people that had... I mean, Stuart McCall, I feel like I'm contractually obliged to mention I'm slipping on the slipping on the top of the car when he was celebrating Bradford. I mean, that's gone down in, in history. I mean, that, that's probably been viewed millions of times on on YouTube and it's good. And he was just as brave when he was going for that goal, like you like you said. Obviously, Craig Levine getting done for the um for headbutting with fighting with his teammate and a contract obliged again to say he never won any medals. And then uh, Rangers and I'm back to Andy Gorham again. I'm just sorry. I'm just when you were talking, I just there's just so many headlines about everything. This one's for 2020, uh, but I don't know. I don't, this is quite sad. I mean, he's either because he's either stitched these women up, Andy Gorham, or he is genuinely uh, fallen on on hard times. But this is only six months ago um, that he, Andy Gorham and this in the Sun scrounged 12 grand from two women after claiming he'd fallen on hard times. The ex-goalie 56 told the pair he need cash for rent, booze, and even shampoo, but has uh, failed to pay them back. But like, it's just when you read that, it's like when someone asks for £12,000 and two of the things is booze and shampoo, that would send uh, alarm bells ringing for me that he's maybe not being quite truthful. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard. I feel like he's a quite, a, it's quite sad. Andy Gorham is obviously he's always yeah. had problems in his life and stuff. Um, so yeah, he's one of these guys that he, 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 when he appears again in the press, it's never anything positive. It's kind yeah. of like Paul Gascoigne. They, they, they just they, they were fantastic players in their time, and, and Gorham was was a tremendous goalkeeper. And then it's just like yeah, they're, they're, there's just something not quite. Um, yeah, what a, lovely, what a lovely tone to finish this. Uh, this uh, no, no, but you're, you're you're right because I think a lot of people say like I mean like things that I've read and heard about Andy Gorham is like he wasn't even like a big loyalist guy or anything like that until he signed for Rangers. He was just a very um, sort of impressionable young man, and he sort of went hell for leather in that. And he wasn't like a big Protestant or anything like that. 
this is what again I alleged I don't know this is just what I've been told in passing uh, and he just went with it because he's just a, an impressionable guy and, and enjoys sort of the camaraderie of it all which I imagine is a huge reason why most people get involved in these type of things but you're right that that sort of Rangers team with Gorham Gascoigne they, they obviously had their demons in it and, it, and it's quite sad uh, Ali McCoy's in that squad so it was a big set they're good ones he told a good story that top 10 uh, Ali McCoy's moments that I saw online the other day was, was great Sort of like just all things off the pitch. And he was talking about Paul. He was in his bed with his wife and his wife wakes him up, telling him that um, she can hear something downstairs. So Ali McCoy gets up, picks up a golf club and goes downstairs. It's like three, four o'clock in the morning and he goes in and Paul Gascoigne is just <laughs> in his fridge at three o'clock in the morning eating, making food. And he was like the blase. He was like, oh, I remember I heard you on the phone telling your wife where you keep the key underneath. So I knew where it was. I've no food in my house. So I just thought I'd come over and make myself a sandwich. It's uh, a cautionary tale about making sure you know who it's about when you, uh, you're talking about that and don't don't trust anyone and all that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, especially if Paul has coins about because <laughs> he will make a sandwich. Uh, but yeah, I don't know if there's anything else you want to you want to add on that game, Craig. Uh, not, nothing, nothing else for me, Tony. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Craig. I've had a lovely time talking about all things Scottish. Uh, and obviously the listeners, thanks very much for, for joining us once again. We'll have plenty of content going up on Thursday. I'm sure we'll be on Thursday talking about the, the Scotland Faroe Islands game and then we can get back to this club football and we can talk about all things that are um, all the big the, the big finish for, for the Scottish football season. And, and, and both our clubs, for different reasons, have a lot on the line uh, and, and it's going to be exciting till the cap. Yeah. So thank you very much and we'll see you all later. Cheerio. Sports Social Podcast Network.